Amen. A praise. Come on. He deserves praise. Amen. Turn to somebody. Give them a high five. Amen. Tell them glad to see them in church today. I want to say as I look into that camera, thank you for those of you that are here with us today in service, whether you're visiting live stream or you're listening. We're so glad to have you here with us today. Aren't you glad to be in church? I'm excited about uh, our Overflow Conference this year, and uh, we last year, Pastor John and I began to talk about Overflow. We were planning early, and I knew some things were changing, and I knew that changes were going to be made in his life and in, in Brooke's life, and, and so as we began to talk, and, and uh, the last time that we were sharing together personally, I said, man, I know that um, I'd love to have you. I can get many people, many good people to come and, and preach this and, and to preach here in this conference that I know, but I know that our people really enjoy having you, so if you can come, and he said, man, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and so I knew when we rolled the video, man, people, he ain't even preached yet, people cheering, you know, kind of thing, and, and uh, some of you won't laugh because you know I'm telling you the truth, amen, I'm glad, I'm excited, he's a friend, he's a personal friend, a close friend, and I, I, somebody said, why do you ask your friends, because I'm not asking my enemies. But I want to say something today. I want to say thank you to about 10 to 15% of this church who came for 21 days of prayer. Many of them never missed a 6 a.m. to 7 o'clock prayer meeting on Saturdays from 9 to 10 because you were the ones who carried what will happen in September. Thank you. Let me back up and just say, when Pastor John and I began to talk, I said, I'd like to push it. Let's push it out a month. I said, we usually uh, have 21 days of prayer in January. We'll have it again this year, uh, prayer and fasting. But I would love to have a 21 day of prayer a month out before we ever get to the uh, actual overflow service. And he said, you know, I think that's a great thing. I said, we're going to be believing for the greatest conference we've ever seen, greatest services we've ever seen, the greatest move of God, and so we're excited about that, but I wanted to say thank you, and I know some of you weren't able to come to corporate prayer, but you prayed at home, and we thank God for you. I'm not disqualifying that. I'm just saying thank you for those who made a sacrifice, because it's a sacrifice. Beth and I, it's a sacrifice for us to be up here, uh, to be up at five and to be here from six to usually well after seven o'clock, and then on Saturdays, we were here uh, yesterday. And I also want to say one of the best communion services that we've ever been involved in that was off, really off the cuff because we did not know at the time to even prepare for communion. Angela, thank you so much for going. And, and uh, she looked at me when Pastor Chris said we're going to do a communion, which was the first time they had done it. And uh, so we had people kept coming in, and about 20 of us gathered around here. We had prayer and we had communion, and what an awesome time it was. If you experienced that, you know it was good. Amen. It was good. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Word this morning. I want you to stand with me one more time. We're going to read this scripture, and then we're going to go to prayer. And, and then I'm going to read to you. We're going we're gonna to go to what I would call the main text of what we've been talking about for the past three weeks. Uh, Pastor Matt preached here, and he didn't use this text. I didn't ask him to, but the three weeks that... Uh, now that I have preached and Pastor Bethany and now I myself again, we've been using this Ephesians 6 and verse 18 from God's Word. Uh, if anybody say God's Word, wh which one is that? 
But Pastor Tim comes and brings those Bibles and he has the limited supply that we use. So if you had one of those, that's the translation that this particular one comes from. The reason we're using it is because it says this. Pray in the Spirit. We know that. And then it says in every situation. And that's the way I, I really like that it breaks it down and says in every situation because it basically leaves no it leaves no way out. It says in every situation, which means when I buy a car, whether new or old, I need to pray. Whether my situations are good or whether they're bad, I need to pray. Whether I have money to pay my bills or I don't, every are you following me? Every situation that I pray. And then it says use every kind of prayer request there is. In other words, in every situation, every prayer that needs to be re, uh, brought before the Lord, you're able to do that. Aren't you glad? today that we can pray in every situation and that you can bring every need, every request that you have to the Lord. Amen. Father, thank you again one more time for the opportunity to come together and, Lord, to bring and to break your uh, break the bread of life, the Word of God in this place. And, Father, we pray that uh, today, God, we will lean in for the next few moments. God, help us to hear, help us to receive it and leave with more than what we came with. Father, we give you the praise. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, you can be seated, and while you're being seated, I want to encourage you to turn over to Acts chapter 12 because I'm going to unpack to you the verses that we're going to be looking at a little bit today. I preached about a year and a half ago on a message called, um, it was basically called God First. It was in a series we did. The third message was a message, and the title of it was Teach Us to Pray. It's where the disciples asked Jesus over in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, to teach them to pray. Now, that intrigues me because the disciples have lived with Jesus. They have walked with Jesus. They have, they have ate with Jesus. They've probably slept on the beach with Jesus because Peter was a fisherman. Come on, somebody. And the one thing they asked Jesus out of everything was not how do we do a miracle? How do we how do we do this? How do we do that? The one thing they asked him was this, how to pray. And for me, that's important because if I'm thinking about, you know, there's a lot of things if I saw Jesus, if I met him face to face, I was going to talk to him that I could ask him, but they asked him hey, how do I pray? They've witnessed his private prayer life. Or Listen to me. They have witnessed his private prayer life, I'll get it out in a minute, which had power in his public life. In other words, because he prayed in private, which means a lot, and he was, he was a, a, when he would pray in private, in other words, it wasn't just what he did in church, but he prayed in private. It connected him to a, a powerful prayer or public ministry that he had. Now, for us, what we need to do is say, Jesus, we know that the disciples asked this one question. We know that we pray, and I want to qualify for a prayer that if I pray in every situation that I know you'll answer. That's where we are with it. And so we've talked about the prayer uh, uh, the last three weeks. We I took you on the journey of the tabernacle prayer, told you how probably eight out of ten times that I have prayer in the morning that I use that kind of example to go through and I pray and we walk through the tabernacle we took it piece by piece Pastor Bethany came in the next week and she preached an outstanding message on the prayer of Jabez and she talked about 
uh, this man who was birthed out of pain. As a matter of fact, his mama named him pain because that's what it means. That's what it meant was that he was, a, uh, was in birthed in pain and did a great job. So this week what I want to talk about is not the disciple, uh, not uh, necessarily Jabez's prayer, not the tabernacle prayer, but how the New Testament church had power in prayer. I just want you to know, if you think the New Testament church was only in the Bible, you're mistaken. The New Testament church is still today. We are New Testament, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, come on somebody, are you hearing me, church. That's what we are. There's no apologies. There's no exceptions. There's no ad offended somebody, so we just don't talk about it. We don't preach about it. It's not popular. Can I tell you, if you want to see and have an effective prayer life with power, come on, somebody, you will pray. That's part of it. So how do we pray? What, what do you mean in every situation? Well, I want to look at how that you can have power in prayer. I shared a little bit of my story. Let me give this to you. When I got in church, and I say got in church, my dad went to a church, showed up at a church. He was invited to by invitation by somebody he worked with, and my dad had seen all kinds of church stuff. He'd been affiliated with all kinds of different churches, and he thought most of those people that went to church were hypocrites because they did the same things out of church as they did in church. But he realized that the man who invited him to church wasn't a hypocrite. He was different than everybody else. This man did and prayed and believed and lived every day what he saw in him outside the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So invitation means a lot. And so when he he took us to church, my life began to be pr- uh, filled with prayer. And I say that because he took us to a prayer church that was a spirit-filled church. I heard a lot of I heard a lot of praying. I heard a lot of different types of prayers. And sometimes as a child, sometimes even as an adult, I felt intimidated because I just didn't feel like God would ever allow me to pray like they prayed. Now, some of you think that you got into this thing and you figured it out and you got all this going on in your life uh, because you, you came out of some, uh, 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 some movement or something else. Can I tell you, the movement that I came out of was a genuine move of God. When I say a genuine move of God, this was a place and a time when I learned how to pray where there were those gray-haired grandmothers who had 411 bobby pins in their hair that knew how to get in touch with God. Come on, somebody. They, they loved you, but they would pray for you. You didn't need to say, you, you, didn't, you better not say, you know what, I think I need prayer. Or you better not let them think you need prayer. And you may not, better not make eye contact with them when they were praying because they were going to lay hands on you and they were going to pray for you. And they would pray. See, I got the Ross family, some of them in here, I ain't preaching to them, but they know exactly what I'm talking about. Nathan said back there. They know exactly what I'm talking because they had a praying mama. Their mother would pray. They went to a praying church. You know what kind of church that is? That's the kind of church that even if you didn't do anything wrong, you better confess something because they're going to pray for you. If you wanted them to stop praying, you better confess it. I confess the things I'd never done just to get them to stop praying for me. My kids 
were raised in a church, in a house that knew prayer. My wife and I laugh about it. I was telling somebody the other day that when my kids would do stuff that sometimes, especially my boys, would do stuff, I'd say, come here, let me let me pray for you. Let me pray for you because they knew I, I was going to lay hands on They'd rather take a whipping with a belt than for me to lay hands on them and pray for them. But can I tell you, they were raised in a home that understood the power of effective prayer. And we need effective prayer that has power in the church today. It is the backbone of everything that we do. It is the center focus of everything that we are involved with. Are you hearing me? What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, what I learned as a child was this, that when God's people began to pray and they began to touch heaven with their prayers, for some reason, God would touch earth. Come on, somebody. He'd reached down. I know because the Lord had healed my body. I knew what the doctors had said about a knee, but God healed my body. Listen to me. I want to have that in my life, and I want you to have it. You're a candidate for it. Amen. And one of the scriptures that really stands out to me was James 5 and 16. Many of you know it from the King James, or you know it from the New King James, so I'm going to use the New King James to share it with you today. It says, confess your trespasses to one another. Most of us, if you've been raised anything else other than spirit-filled, you understand confession. I won't go into that. You know what it means. That means to confess your trespasses. But notice something, that it doesn't say confess them to God. Notice that it says confess them to one another. And the reason I've learned this and understand this is because you and I, our second uh, in our vision statement is finding freedom, is that you need a friend, you need somebody that can walk along with you in order for you to be free and stay free. Come on, somebody. And so going and being able to, that's why we talk about small groups so much, becoming uh, friends with somebody, going into a group, getting involved in them, because you can find somebody who's willing to pray, look at what it says, and pray for one another that you might be healed. And then it says this, and this is really where I want to zero in. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'd hear that scripture when I was a kid, and I really wanted to know, what does that mean? What what is an effective, fervent prayer? I kind of understood what effective was, but I really didn't understand what fervent was. And avail, I kind of felt like... Was a good word, but I wasn't real sure about all of that. And really, what it comes down to, if you look it up and you really want to get super, super technical about it, it is simply prayer that works. Come on, somebody. It is a prayer that works. And that fervent prayer is a prayer that works with power. Because you can pray and have prayer that works, but I believe there's something about a prayer that works with power behind it. In other words, there is a power that we look for. I know that because we've got movies that are coming out with all kinds of witchery and all kinds of supernatural things, and people gravitate to them. Even Christian people gravitate to them. Do you know why? Because they want something with power. But can I tell you today, you don't need that kind of power. You need the power that comes to you from the Lord. You have no business in that stuff. Come on, somebody. Pastor, you don't read your horoscope? Yeah, I do right here. 
I don't need it from a newspaper clipping. I don't need it from an app on a phone. I know what the Word of God has said about me, and I have no business anywhere else. You know what I want to tell you today? I want you to understand you are a candidate for prayer as a Christian that works and has power. You don't like something that don't work. Nobody does. Come on, somebody. It was only a few uh, weeks ago that, and some of y'all are going to identify here with this, that we went to the refrigerator. Y'all know what a refrigerator is, don't you? Don't look at me spiritual like you're an English teacher. You know what the fridge is. And you from the South, you understand what a refrigerator is. And I went to the refrigerator and opened it up, and my refrigerator wasn't that old, and the milk was lukewarm. That ain't good, especially if you're going to pour it over your cornflakes. It ain't good. Nobody likes a refrigerator that does not work and cool down what's on the inside. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Amen. Nobody likes that. It had stopped working. Nobody likes to go to the refrigerator, find lukewarm milk just before they got to be at work, get out to their car and turn the key over on the car they're making payments on and it won't crank. Come on. Come on. You hearing what I'm telling you? Nobody likes their stuff not to work. We want it to work. Come on, somebody. We like stuff that works. Nobody gets out uh, their cell phone. How many like your cell phone? Yeah, some of y'all lying. How many, listen, you like your cell phone? Some of y'all lying still. I pray for you later. You like your cell phone. You look at it too many times not to like it. You sit and eat lunch with it. You you eat a, a romantic supper with it with your wife. You you eat with it. You're looking at you. Say you like your cell phone, and nobody wants us. Nobody's ever said I love my cell phone because the battery's dead and I have no reception on it. Thank you, AT and T. No, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. I'm being serious. You know what? You want power. You want the phone to be charged. You want it to work. And if the battery's dying all the time, then it's got to have something else done and there's no reception with it. You don't want to be hanging out of a tree. Can I tell you in your walk with God, you want your prayer life to be effective and you want it to be fervent because it's it's prayer that works and has power and you are a candidate for it. Come on, somebody. I'll take it. Some of y'all lied about the, about the cell phone. So I'm going to go on to something else because nobody in the South ever said, I'm glad my air conditioning don't work. I'm glad the AC don't work today. I want my air conditioning to work. I want it to be effective. I don't care what Energy Star rating said that it need to be on 82 at nighttime and 78 during the daytime. Crank the air down. It is hot outside. If the feels like is 120, it's 120 outside because there's 95% humidity. Come on, somebody. You want your air to work. Can I tell you, why would we settle for a prayer life that does not work and is not effective? My goodness, all we've got to do is learn to pray. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. The disciples said we want to pray, and we want to pray and we want a prayer that works. So the New Testament church in Acts chapter 12, which is where we're going to go, comes together and they gather together. And we look at them through this really a mirror of reflection. We look at what they're praying. And Peter is in jail. He's in prison. James has just been, has just been killed, his brother. But listen to this. 
They want Peter to be released. But they're having trouble. And the Bible teaches us, if you read this, that Pastor Tagan, they're struggling to believe. I don't know about you, but I found in my walk with God, there are times that I pray prayers and I struggle to believe that what I pray is going to come to pass. Anybody else on that? I am guilty of praying prayers that, that, I, that say, God, I believe you can under-answer my prayer, but I'm not sure if you can over-answer my prayer. In other words, you may, if you hear me a little bit and part of it's answered, then that's good enough with me. Can I tell you something? I believe we got a God that wants to over-answer our prayers. But I identify with the church, the New Testament church in Acts chapter 12, because they struggled to believe even though they were praying for it. Come on, somebody. Let's look over to Acts 12, 1 through 5. Let me just read some scriptures. We're going to unpack it. I'm actually going to read down to verse 16. I told you through 5 so you feel better. Amen. About that time, Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. We don't know anything about persecution today. We got air conditioning at work. We got refrigerators at work. We got automobiles where a lot of people are walking. We don't know a lot about persecution. We don't have anybody doing that to us right now. Look at what it says in verse 2. He had the apostle James, actually John's brother, was killed with a sword. And then Herod saw how much this was pleasing the Jewish people. So he also arrested Peter. You know what? If I took out James and everybody liked that, they clapped for that, they're going to love it when I get Peter. There was a reason why. He arrested Peter, and this took place during the Passover celebration. He had him arrested then. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under a guard of four squads of four soldiers. They were on shifts. Now, he, Peter must have been a bad dude. Four, Sixteen soldiers total, they got him in shifts watching him. In other words, when four of them leave, four more come in. When four get off of an eight-hour or whatever the shift is, Four more come in. They, he must have been a bad guy for them to put him there. There was a reason for that. And then it says, uh, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly. I love this because it identifies with how I pray. They prayed earnestly for him. Now, here's something that's worth noting. I know that, you know, maybe for some it doesn't really matter, but for some of us who like to know this, the word earnestly that we find here in verse 5 is the same word translated fervently in James chapter 5 and 16. They prayed, and they prayed with power. Look at verse 6 now. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. How many know this ain't the first time we found Peter asleep? He can sleep at the drop of a hat. He's a napper. Fastened with two chains, not just one, but two, between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. He's still not awake, though, because the angel had to strike him on the side to get him up. Anybody wake up a teenager like that? You got to get them up. You turn the lights on, you shine a flashlight on them, they still don't get up. I don't know what striking him on the side meant, but anyway, they did that. He did that, and he said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off. The chains fell off his wrist, and the angel told him, get dressed. Put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat, and look at what it says, and follow me, the angel ordered. 
verse 9. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He thought he was dreaming. He didn't realize that it was actually happening. They passed the first, second guard post. They came through and they started walking down the street and the angel suddenly left him alone. He's by himself now. Verse 11, Peter came to his senses. He, he gets himself awake. He gets the sleep out of his eyes. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent an angel and saved me from Herod, from all the Jewish leaders who had planned what they had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for what? Prayer. They're praying. He knocks on the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda, not Rhonda, Rhoda, came to the door and opened it. When she recognized it was Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, basically leaving Peter standing at the door. Verse 15. And they looked at her, verse 15, look at what they said. You are out of your mind. Just because we're in here praying fervently, just because we're in here praying passionately, just because we're in here having a prayer service so that Peter can get out of prison, just because we're in here praying and believing that God's going to release our child from the, the, the chains that they're in, just because we're believing that somehow God is going to bring a miracle into our life, just because we believe that somehow God is going to give us a miracle in our finances, just because we pray and all that don't really mean we believe or expect God to do it. Read it. They said, you are out of your ever-loving mind, Rhoda. When she insisted, they decided that it must be an angel. It can't be Peter, but it must be an angel. Meanwhile, Peter, he's still knocking. And when they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. Let me unpack to you, for you just a little bit. Herod, King Agrippa, has got the church being persecuted. They're under a heavy persecution, and he orders four squads of soldiers or 16 men's on men watching Peter, standing at the gates, making sure that Peter doesn't get out. Now, if Peter, is such, if he's a big political person, if he's a big threat to Herod, he could be the next person to step up to the throne. That might be one thing, kind of like when Jesus was born and they wanted to have Jesus, all the babies killed. But Peter is not that threat. Peter is this rough-cut fisherman. I mean, he stinks like fish when Jesus finds him. He's been casting his net. He probably, and I know some of y'all may not believe this, was probably naked as a jaybird when Jesus found him. And he said to him, come on, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You no longer need to cast your net for fish, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter probably was a cusser. Pastor, you're just being silly. No, I'm not. The Bible says that when the rooster crowed, one translation says, and Peter cussed. He used profanities. He used something that wasn't, wasn't normal to be used. And, and because of that, we think, now Peter must have been some kind of guy for them to want to keep him in prison. That wasn't it. Do you know what Herod was worried or what Herod was concerned about and why he was persecuting the church? Because he thought, read it, read any history, read any commentary you want to, and you'll find out that Herod thought, if I can kill James, get rid of James, the brother of John, if I can get rid of Peter, if we can get rid of all these disciples, 
disciples, especially these ones that have a big mouth like Peter who won't shut up since Jesus found them. If we can kill him after Passover, get a public trial, then we will shut down the church. We will take the church of the living God out. But he didn't know the word that Jesus had already spoken in Matthew 16 and 18. And Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why he wanted to take him out. Can I tell you, most of the time, though, the reason that the church gathers in prayer is because there's an emergency. I remember having those all-night prayer meetings that I didn't even know really what to pray. I had done prayed out all I knew to pray in about five to ten minutes of an all-night prayer meeting. I done picked up my Bible and tried to find something to pray out of the Bible that was in that Bible. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't understand how to pray all night long. Can I tell you something? Why a lot of times those were called, it was because it was some emergency. Somebody was in the hospital. Somebody had our Some child, we, we did that and we'd have those. But let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with praying when you got an emergency but can I tell you the church needs to learn to pray effective prayers before there is a 911. We need to learn to pray an effective prayer before we need the Lord. It's like not charging the flashlight before the power goes out. It's like not charging up the flashlight before the storm comes and then we go to get it and we turn it on and it's dim or it don't work. That's the way a lot of times our prayers are in the church because we just ain't prayed can I tell you something? The church does pray. Do you know when they normally pray? When there's a problem, when there's a pain, when there's a persecution, when there's a struggle. Can I tell you something? We don't like pain and we don't like problems and we don't like the struggles. But a lot of times it positions us on our knees exactly where we need to be before the throne of God. Amen. Amen. I had a guy years ago, I was working uh, as a subcontractor for a, a company who who oversaw and took care of public pay phones back before cell phones were as popular as they are today on military bases. And I was out at a Navy port, and there was a Navy young man on a phone, and I was working. Man, there's so many phones you couldn't hardly get to. I mean, they were all over because when these guys came in, they didn't have cell phones to get on. They had to get in these phones and call home. Some of them had been on there. And he was talking to me, and he said something that has stuck with me all of these years. He said, I don't know why I'm having the problems that I'm having. But he said, I have been praying that the Lord would help me through. And I don't know what come over me, but I said, son, I want to say something to you. And it's not meant to be disrespectful to you, but it's help to help encourage you. Because God knows that if you did not have some of those pains, some of those problems, and some of those struggles, that you might not pray to Him. Can I tell you that He just wants a relationship with you? That's why I created Adam and Eve in the garden to begin with, was to have fellowship. We all understand what fellowship is. Come on. He wanted to commune with them. He wanted to talk with them. That's what He wanted. Do you know that's all God is really interested in your life? He wants to answer your prayers. He wants you to have effective prayer life, a powerful prayer life. But more than anything else, He he wants you to have a fellowship or communion or a relationship relationship with him listen to me everybody listen signing your name in a church book that you 
uh, become a member will not get you to heaven. Uh, uh, baptism, and I know there's a lot of people that preach that baptism is the way, uh, the only way to heaven. Can I tell you the scriptures are very plain that there is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. But let me just clarify this a little bit. There's more than just walking down to an altar one time and saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Yes, he will accept you. Yes, he will forgive you of your sins. But it goes further into a relationship with him. Hey, he loves me. He knows me by name. I know him. We get up in the morning and we have communion and we talk. Before I do anything else, listen to this, I pray first. I'm just thankful that even when we pray and we say things like, God ain't going to answer my prayer, y'all must be out of, my mind, out of your mind. When we actually have those feelings, I like this, that even when I'm in doubt, it doesn't disqualify me from God's deliverance. Do you hear me? I'm remembering those prayer meetings and hearing those seniors pray and talking about this word, and I'm going to give it to you, or these two words real quickly. They use the term that if, if you've been in church, especially in a spirit-filled church for any time, you've heard them use this phrase. They would say, hey, you need to pray through. Or we need to pray through. Now, that's a church term, but most people, unless you've been in church and you don't know, if you came to church today and you just heard it then, you probably didn't understand it like me. It was many years later as a child that I understood what praying through meant. And believe me, they believed when they prayed you through, they laid hands on you. Come on, somebody. Praying through simply means this. I need you to get this. That no matter how you feel, come on, you need to pray through. No matter how your emotions are, your feelings are, your problems are, your pain is, you need to pray through the problem. You need to pray through the pain. You need to pray through the emotions. You need to pray through the feelings. Do you Don't let unbelief stop you in the middle of what God's trying to do in you because you're just before a breakthrough. Many times... We don't realize how close we are to the prayer that we've been praying being answered. And some of us, if we knew how close we were, we wouldn't give up and we wouldn't quit. But because we don't know how far or how long or how long we'll have to wait, many times we just quit. I want to challenge you, don't let your unbelief stop you in the middle of your prayers just before breakthrough. Let me give these to you quickly. There's some ingredients that I found in these verses of effective prayer. This one I really kind of stepped through already, but I'll just share with you. Number one is when we learn effective prayer, these are ingredients of, a, of an effective prayer life, a prayer that works. When we learn effective prayer, we do learn effective prayer when there is stress, problems, or pain. Psalms 18.6, David said this, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from the temple. I don't like problems. I said, I don't like problems. I don't know anybody here that really likes problems. I do not like stress. Come on, somebody. I don't like pain in my body. Come on, somebody. I, I, I don't like that. Are you helping me? Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? We don't like that. I don't like it. And David said this in Psalms 18. He said, in my distress, 
in my stress, in my pain, in my problems, in all that I was going through, he said, I went to the Lord, and the Lord heard my voice. So because I don't like it, there's nothing that causes me to go to the Lord in prayer like stress, pain, and problems. Are you hearing me? Maybe this is worth writing down. Needs cause us to go to our knees, and chaos chaos will cause us to call on God. It's a lot of, I know, I'm not real good at the making you got it. Needs cause us to go to our knees, and chaos will cause us to call on God. The most difficult road in my life that I have traveled down, the most difficult, believe me, when I say that I've traveled down some difficult roads that many times I wasn't even able to share with everybody else. I, I had to travel that road not alone but with God. The most difficult roads I've traveled down in my life have been paved with a pathway of prayer. Not with bitterness, not with anger, not with unforgiveness. And I wanted, why? Because the destination needs to bring glory to God. If I allow my pains, my problems, my stress, if I allow the difficult road that I'm traveling down push me or pave in anger or bitterness or unforgiveness, then what I'm going to get at the end of that is not glory to God and I am going to get worse. That's why the Bible says to take uh, thought every uh, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because you don't want bitterness coming into your life. You don't want unforgiveness coming into your life. And those things will spring up. That's why it's called a root of bitterness that will come up in your life and it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Let me move on. Secondly, look at this. Effective prayers are passionate. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 and 8 said, while Jesus was on, here on earth, Paul writing this says, that while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. You know what he just said? Paul said this, Jesus prayed with passion. I'm telling you that effective prayers are passionate prayers. What do you mean? They're passion, they have passion and reverence. Jesus knew that if he prayed with passion and reverence to the Lord, that God would hear his prayers. His father, he prayed to his father. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Come on, somebody. Jesus was passionate and his prayers worked. Can I tell you that your prayers will work as well? One of the effective ingredients is being passionate about when you pray. Pray to the Lord. What is being passionate, Pastor? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what it is. When we first started, and I don't have one of Bethany has one right there. I, because I was raised in a spirit-filled church, and we just prayed. We just prayed. We just we just prayed. Bethany don't want me to tear it up any more than it is. And there's notes, and and there's all kinds of stuff. We start using this little pray first guy. We first got them. Both of us. We we didn't. We were really. We didn't think it was a bad thing. We just wasn't sure because we never, uh, you know, I heard about praying from catechi or, uh, catechisms and I'd heard from book of prayers and those kinds of things. And I know some of you can identify with what I'm talking about. And I just was like, I just need to pray. I don't, I don't know that I need to follow a prayer the way. But I'm going to tell you what I've learned, that I have relied a lot on this thing uh, helping guide me. That's what it is. It is a pray first. It's a prayer guide. Why a prayer guide? I'll tell you why. 
You may not have that tendency that when you're outside that you're doing something and then a squirrel, rabbit. My prayer life a lot of times some would be that way. It would just be pulled off. I, I, I would have trouble at times focusing back. And this prayer, God, help me. What really has encouraged me out of the 17 to 20 that we would see here uh, praying, I would see them walking around from the older to the younger with these prayer guides. Not because we told them they had to. We said they're available to you. We want you to know that there are a few prayers in the Bible that we believe are like guide marks that you can use, and they will help you to become passionate about your prayers. But hear this, it will help you to become and pray effective prayers. You cannot take a baseball bat into a football game or you're going to get ejected because that baseball bat isn't allowed to be used in a football game. I wish it was at times, but it's not. Your prayer life is the same. People will say, well, we just need to agree. Listen to this because there's a prayer of agreement. We're going to talk about that just in a minute. We need to agree that you are healed. Can I tell you? There's nowhere in the scriptures that it talks about agreeing for healing. The Bible says that your healing was already paid for in Isaiah 53 and 5 and 1 Peter 2 and 24 and Psalms 103, 2 through 5. Your healing was already paid for. It's all, Are you hearing what I'm telling you? But there is a prayer of agreement that we need to pray. There are different types of prayers that need to be prayed and they're effective when they're used in the right way. You're a candidate for that. You want your prayers to be effective. Pray them. Secondly, you get passionate prayer. Jesus prayed with a passion prayer. Why are you telling me this, that? Because I believe that a lot of times God wants to meet you in your prayer life one step out of your comfort zone. Prayers that work are prayers that gain God's attention and they're passionate. Number three, look at this. Effective prayers are persistent prayers. Persistent prayers will be prayed even when I don't see the results of what I want or when I want it. I don't have a lot of time. Some of y'all going to need to go here before long. But persistent prayers are one of those things. It just means that I'm continually, Ephesians 6 and 18, if we just use the first two words of that from the New King James, it says praying always. I need all my mother's attention for just a moment because if you're a mama, you understand this. If you're a daddy, you may understand it too. Persistent prayers. Persistent prayers. If you raised a toddler, you know what persistence is. Just let them. Do you think that, that Walmart and Kmart and TGNY and Target and all of them put the candy at the aisle when you're checking out for their health to make it easy on the distributors that put it there? No. It's there. And it's at their level for a reason. Because they know they're going to want a Kit Kat or Reese's Bar or whatever it is or some candy on a string to put around their arm. And that toddler will be persistent about wanting that what they want. Can I tell you something? A lot of times with the church, it isn't that God isn't answering. He's looking for his child to be persistent before him. Come on, somebody. That we keep praying, that we don't give up. We're praying for that teenager. We're praying for that child. We're praying for that job. We're believing God for the answers. I'm going to tell you that an ingredient for it is effective or persistent prayers. Prayers that prayed when nothing else came. I'm going to tell you this, sometimes you pray prayers for your family and your kids and it only gets worse. 
If you've never had that, you don't understand, completely understand prayer. I have prayed prayers for people who got worse. And I just want to say, Jesus, I ain't praying for them no more because they're getting worse. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. But the thing is, I needed to pray through. I needed to keep praying no matter what they were doing. Things kept, I needed to keep praying. If your finances are not aligning with what Hebrews says, give your tithe. Keep praying. Keep being persistent. And God will allow it to line up. God is a big God. And he will take and answer my prayers. One of the ingredients of that is a persistent prayer which says I don't give up. Number four, we're getting close. Effective prayers are prayed in agreement with others. This is just one ingredient. Matthew 18 and 19 said, Again, I say to you, if any two on earth agree concerning anything that they ask, look at what it says, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's why we believe, and I've told you that a prayer of agreement is prayed with others. When I don't know what I need to do, I agree with someone else. Hey, will you agree with me in prayer about an answer? I, I'm, I'm thinking about changing jobs. I'm thinking about changing cities. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about buying this. I need to pray first, but I need to find me a friend that will agree with me in prayer. My wife and I used to pray, and she prayed in one room, and I would pray in another room, and a lot of times it was at one time, and she prayed at another time, but we learned that some of the most powerful prayers that we've had recently have been when we come together in one room, and we began to agree. And, and nine times out of ten in our home, when we're praying in the mornings, and we're not at 21 days of prayer, and then we tried to do it then, and that last thing we did was come together, and we prayed in agreement for our marriage, for each other. We wonder why, our, why our, our, our marriages aren't strong. We wonder why we're on the brink of divorce. We wonder why it's at the edge of separation and why, listen to me, it isn't that the world's divorce rate's so high, it's that the church is. And I'm not, I'm not preaching against you. I'm here for you. We're here with you. We love you. But what I'm telling you is if you want a strong marriage, learn to pray together. Well, I don't have time, Pastor. I got, I got this going on and that going on. Can I tell you something? When you get down to your bottom and you're at the point of breaking up and separation, you'll find time. You'll figure it out. You'll find out how you can get this thing straight around if you're really in love. Let me tell you something. You need to learn to pray together in agreement. But it's not just marriages that need to be prayed for in agreement. That's just what I'm telling you today. You know, Bethany and I, Tuesday, 31 years married, and I'm going to tell you, it ain't always been easy. And I'm going to tell you that we ain't always prayed together. And I'm going to tell you, there are times that I just didn't pray. I heard a vacuum. What do you mean you just didn't pray? I, I was too busy. I was working, she will verify, 12, 14, 16 hours a day and full-time, uh, not paid, but full-time ministry somewhere. And the last uh, six years before we moved here was working and, and, and supervising and pastoring a church and visiting all the people in the hospital, cutting grass, a lot of times cleaning the church, and still somehow or another, amen, I would, uh, I would figure out how to study for a message, preach a message, but there were times that we didn't pray together. My youngest son that some of y'all love and think the world of, Got a man bun on top of his head half the time. When I first started pastoring church, 
he came along. We did not have the blessing of a nursery. Thank you, ladies who serve. Thank you, young ladies who serve in our. We didn't have the blessing of a children's ministry. Come on. And now people shop churches, and if you ain't just the right thing, they won't come to your church. Come on, somebody. When I was a kid, the nursery and the children's church was slid up under the chair if you fell asleep during the night service. But when my youngest son came along, we first started pastoring our first church, there were times I had him on my hip. There were times she had him on her hip because we didn't have that luxury of that, and he was too little to put anywhere else. And and you say, well, Pastor, why didn't you give him to somebody else? Because all four of us was doing something. Y'all didn't get that. She was leading music. I was preaching. Her mama was playing the piano. Her daddy was playing the bass, and that was it. And we were giving our tithe to make sure that the lights stayed on. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? And we have the blessing of all of that now. And God is saying to us, hey, look, there's things I want to do in your life. There's the blessings that I want to give to you. You need to take the time to come together in agreement. It may be a house-to-house group. Come on, somebody. It may be a 21-day of prayer. It may be in your house with your wife. But you need to find a friend to agree with you. I'm going to close. A biblical prayed prayer of agreement is an effective prayer. The last and final agreement that I believe is the main ingredient is effective prayers that are prayed in and through the name of Jesus. John 14, verses 13 and 14 said, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father might be glorified, in the Son, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, look at this, I will do it. The main ingredient, you guys will start that for me, listen to this, there's something about the name of Jesus. There's something about it. There's something about the name of Jesus that there is not in any other name. And it's power. When I was a kid, just quickly, I'll share with this story. If you can't, you guys can't get it, don't worry about it. We just don't want to anybody to leave who we're at. But when I was a kid, my dad would bring in evangelists from the church he was pastoring, and he brought this guy. His, his he called his his uh, his name was Paul. I'm trying to think of his last name, but he just left. It's been a lot of years ago. This guy was like an apostle. This dude was awesome.
what I need, have need in my life, he becomes my supply. I pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. When the doors come on, when they come open in my life, the prison's doors fling open, when the chains fall off, it's because of the name of Jesus. There is no rival, there is no equal to the name of Jesus 